welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW match guide lists as voted by wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, support the podcast financially on Red Circle, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, such as One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, All Things Elite, the Great Consequences Podcast that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is one of my favourite people to talk about wrestling with. He is a writer and a podcaster for Wrestling Headlines and is one of the most chipper people you'll find in wrestling fandom. It's Matt Maher, a.k.a. Imp, and we are looking at Hangman Adam Page and the Dark Order versus the Super Elite Elimination Tag Team Match from Dynamite, Fright for the Fallen, on the 28th of July, 2021. How are you going today, Imp? I am very good, thank you. <laughs> I want to say, I was holding in a cough the entire intro. <laughs> I was very thinking, bad myself. I was thinking you were coughing for me after getting through that mouth, that uh, oh, tongue twister of a match title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's because um, when it was the uh, definitive match guide list, I remember you was just like, just put in the title of it. Just put, just put in like da-da-da versus da-da-da from da-da-da. And I was just like, okay, that's nice and easy. But then I saw the title of the match. I was like, oh, good God. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> I was, I was... I was tossing up if I should say Dynamite Fight for the Fallen or just give the date, but I think <laughs> Fight for the Fallen is like a legacy thing for them yeah. now. So, yeah, I wanted to add it in there. <laughs> um, Imp, I'm assuming you didn't choose this match because you just wanted me to go over throughout Tongue Twister. Why did you choose it? <laughs> so whenever Sam asks me what matches I want to do here, I pick one that for me is like critically. I was just like, magnifica, with my art, my artsy fartsy <laughs> kind of critique hat on. Uh, but the other match I always pick is the one that I enjoyed the most from the year. And normally it's something fun. Like last time I picked Orange Cassidy versus Pack, And this time I was like, what was the match that I just remembered so fondly having an absolute blast with? And it was this one. And mm. it's, everything from the story going in i mean obviously the story around it isn't super happy fun times but it is still just the uh, the way yeah everything going in the momentum of this the magnitude of what was on the line here and this the the entrances as well of the the dark order and hangman page with just that was also hangman's arc and accepting his friends yes mm. <laughs> so good and then the super elite uh, already best friends they're just taking the piss <laughs> and it's mm. fantastic <laughs> uh, taking the piss and getting money for for advertising <laughs> movie. <laughs> <Congratulations>. <laughs> um, but just the overall flow of the batch and everything it was an absolute blast to watch it was one of those mm. one of those aws i remember at the time where this was the big match of the show and they started with it and it was mm. just an absolute blast. I was absorbed by every single minute, and I could not wait to revisit it. Mm. It's it's funny how around this time, I feel like it's almost the peak 
of my fandom. Not that I don't still love the promotion, but just in terms of the amount of goodwill that there was around AEW at the time, you know, we're now in 2020, well into 2022, and it's been a much more mixed year with some, you know, like real messed up things happening in the company. But at this point, this was like riding this all-time high where you had the return to crowds at double or nothing, and they're starting to like potentially tease out that CM Punk might be coming. I can't remember if this is before or after when the news broke around Danielson and Punk, but there was just so much happiness and excitement, and this was the story of the promotion, as we'll get into, and a story that I I'm personally was really emotionally involved, invested in and still am to this day. Uh, and, and this was just like such a high point, this match. Uh, so, you know, coming back to revisit it was like, you know, going back to a real happy place. Um, so that was, yeah, I, I'm really happy that you're the person that I'm doing this with, given that, you know, you're my partner in crime and all that and these things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it. I, I love the I love the matches where there's a lot of story on the line, but then we don't mm. get a like 30 minute super serious really like new yeah like, like a new japan style s- slow yeah. opening or whatever it's like no, no no this was an absolute blast of energy and fun. yeah uh, that's really that, up my street what you just said there is such a great way of putting it and I, I hadn't thought of it but just how how much story is on the line like the emotional stakes of this match and the stakes of this match were just so high um given everything that they had going into it so i say <clears throat> Let's get stuck into this thing, Imp. Um, let's get going. Uh, as we always do here on the Match Guide, we give the match its flowers. Um, so Dave Meltzer rated this match 4.5 stars. Cage Match currently has it rated 8.12. And when we did the second version of the Definitive Match Guide earlier in 2022, this match was voted 18th. Um, so, yeah, it's a beloved match and a beloved moment in time for the promotion um, for what it was. Of course, uh, it is part of the broader story of Adam Page and Kenny Omega and the Elite. Um, There's lots of ground to cover. It's pretty much the story of AEW. Um, So we're not going to be able to cover it all on this podcast here today because there's just simply too much to break it down in depth. If you do want to look back on things, um, I I covered a lot of it when I spoke to Caro, um, when we did Kenny Omega vs. Hangman from Full Gear 2020. That's in the first season of the podcast, so you can look back uh, and look at that. And also, if you look back at the Stadium Stampede match, we talked, me and... uh, Libby Cadman talked a lot about Hangman and Kenny there as well as the first season. As I said, like this, this is a match that has a lot of build up and a lot of story. Uh, and we're going to pick up the story after full gear 2020. Um, but in, before we, we, you know, pick up the story, I just wanted to ask, what did you think just generally of this, this overarching multi-year kind of program that Kenny Omega and Hangman page were on? Uh, this for me this was the proof of concept for the entire existence of AEW <laughs> almost mm. not to put not to put too much pressure on it but it this was the proof of concept of the idea of the kind of way they could build up stories like mm. uh, the unbooks uh, set before AEW the unbooks were pretty much just saying that uh, WWE would tell a story in a certain way uh, but they would sit there and ask, ask themselves well why can't it be different why does it have mm. to be this way uh, people people see it today still people don't talk as if um that that's a way of telling a story they talk of that's how you do it in wrestling and they question well why 
why can't we try something else? And that's what this was. This was trying something. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say new because, of course, the eternity of wrestling. <laughs> but in terms of like the modern day product, you do not get stories like this. You don't get carefully articulated and put together before you show anything almost like an entire three year arc. And the, the, it kind of showed it just the way that from beat to beat, it progressed absolutely perfectly using being mm. the elite to give that, as you've called it before, like that of watching the extended edition of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like you just you get that get that little bit more into the story. You get to see uh, Saruman meet his end. <laughs> like you get that <laughs> bit more investment, and uh, seeing that kind of add to the uh, Hangman Page arc, which just you know, it did mm. so much. And for me, what really helps in a way was lockdown. Like we lost blood and guts, which was meant to be like a whole big spectacle type match. However, we gained character work. And mm. the amount of character work they were able to do for this feud specifically. Because like, when mm. you think about some of the most memorable moments, they pretty much all take place at Daly's Place. From mm. uh, the cracked mirror to Hangman costing the books, <laughs> like uh, to the uh, to the Paul Gear match that you were just talk- we were talking about. Like it all took place in that same one era. And for me, that's part of the reason that they had so much goodwill coming mm. into the summer that we're going to be covering. Where they'd returned so hot like the first match uh, in front of fans on a live pay-per-view i mean i was putting asterisks on it because i'm remembering about dark matches and youtube and things <laughs> but uh, on the, the first official match on the pay-per-view was hangman page versus brian cage and that like, he was trusted to get that huge baby face pop like this mm. is the guy that we've been building and it mm. was just for me all of that character work was shown to pay off right there and then mm. um, yeah and, and uh, that that means so much, and mm. that's kind of what why why I'm so positive about WWE right now is the same reason, just because there mm. is so much character work going in that down the line, and that's what will happen to the mm. Hangman Page. They put so much effort into building that arc, and they played it out slowly over the course of lockdown, and by the time we reach the summer, fans are so invested. Mm. <laughs> they are yep. seething at the mouth. <laughs> they cannot wait to see that guy succeed. Mm. Well, look, let's pick up the story after Full Gear 2020, um, because that's where we left it off um, back when I recorded that podcast with Caro. Post that match, both men, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, would head in vastly different directions based on the, the result of that match. Omega heading off to face John Moxley to ultimately win the AEW Championship. Uh, and Hangman left it having lost his friend, lost the tag team titles that he once held, uh, lost his identity uh, as part of, you know, this stable, the elite, and his chance to finally fulfill his original goal that he set out with in the promotion of winning the AEW title, which he announced at the very first press conference. Now, Let's focus on Hangman first. We'll talk Kenny and Hangman and then sort of where they came back together, but we'll talk Hangman first. So after this, he ends up having a number of interactions with the Dark Order, including a match with John Silver, and then sort of becomes like buddies with the Dark Order a little bit. He has two tag matches with John Silver and Alex Reynolds, um, most notably on the night of the Brody Lee tribute show. They have a trios match, which um, is for me, one of the most <clears throat> emotionally uh, intense and cathartic and it's, I, I'm struggling. I struggle to put that match into words. Um, 
but it's it's this for me it's the centerpiece of that show uh in in many ways i mean how it's a tribute to Brody lee uh and to this day um it still makes me cry watching that match and actually let's let's just talk about that match a little bit in that whole Brody lee tribute show is is such a a piece of work of the moment um and uh, such an incredible bit of mourning um and such an incredible tribute uh and, and that match itself is, is just so special to me well it's almost the perfect note to just kind of start on before going into hangman page kind of joining up with the dark order and mm. why they even wanted him in the first place it's all of those different emotions that because it, 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 it adds so much to just the emotion of the of mm. them finally joining together uh, for the match recovering but uh, that match is i remember at the time it was just like yeah, there's there's some shows or tears yeah that, everywhere uh, <laughs> you, you get that feeling of um i call it where you've got watery eyes but you're also smiling like it's one of those where it, mm. it reaches peak feel good in just a, like oh my god that is so <laughs> in, in the most British way possible that is so incredibly lovely that i'm just tearing up watching it <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was uh, uh just Again, the entire show can have had that same feel yeah. the entire two hours. It's such an incredible achievement. Mm. But at the, that that one match is just so much going. I think for me, um, it's uh, when Redbeard comes out. And yeah, I'm just like oh, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. That's the bit that and, gets me. And at the end, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna like I'm probably gonna start crying talking about it. But at the <laughs> end, when John Silver wearing that gear is like on his on the ground and hangman's like pulling him up and eric redbeard who's just like completely in tears is also pulling him up and <laughs> has this sign saying i'll see you down the road brother it, it's mm. just in, incredible and and i don't think this is the way that the story was originally going to be told with hangman potentially joining the dark order but with what happened with Brody lee and and how this partnership like got formed so organically uh, and, and the dark order became such audience favorites. It, it really became the most wholesome thing with hangman, you know, this person who had been rejected um, by the, the elite, by the top of the company getting taken in by the absolute losers of the company, but also, but, but sort of finding himself in that. Um, and, and, the story beat at that point culminates in them asking him to join the Dark Order as a member of the Dark Order, and this is after the the tribute show. Um, but Hangman rejects it, um, saying that he's but but says he's he just wants to be friends. He's happy just to be friends with the Dark Order, um, but doesn't want to join them. What what do you think of that story beat? The fact that he didn't end up joining them even after like they'd been through such an emotional thing, but still wants to be friends with them. Oh yeah. For me, it's the uh, it's the flow of his character at the time where he was mm. so low in self confidence that because t- is this the time where he's still getting absorbed into his drink a bit because he hasn't mm. been helped yeah. yet and he but he does not have the confidence to see that they genuinely just want to accept him for him mm. he can't see it he's completely just still lost in himself and. Uh, so, uh, kind of absorbed by all of those kind of negative thoughts and things. It's it's the arc of the uh, anxious millennial cowboy. <laughs> like mm. still, was, he's still in the full grasps of it, uh, mm. but they're genuinely he he can't see that because of the the last time 
that he gave himself up to a group of friends. He got burnt so badly that he just he is not willing. <laughs> he is mm. not willing to. He cannot see it. And they're, they're just so genuine in all of the attempts and mm. all of the BTEs at the time. Because I remember being uh, like one of the things that hit me about Brody passing was their BTE skits were they made oh. me cry with laughter so often. <laughs> it was just the uh, my absolute favourite is him screaming at them, self for sue, self for sue. Yeah, oh <laughs> man, I watched that recently. It was incredible. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so. But I remember at the time just thinking, oh, like man, I don't know if they're gonna ever be able to ke- get that, generate that same kind of feeling out of me. Mm. But boy, did John Silver step up. <laughs> like, oh yeah. boy. And it's just that when they'd have Hangman Page come in and he'd be kind of like down and like, oh, like, I don't know, guys. And then he'd walk away. Uh, and then they all start whispering between themselves, like, oh, he's going to love it. It's going to be so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just that episode where I'm assuming we're building to talking about the point when they uh, asked him into the group and he rejects them. And then yeah. the music starts playing and it's the graphic on the screen. So yeah. he said yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's interesting in that moment, like conflicted hangman is is kind of incredible. Um, he, he even gets like booed at that point when he declines the Dark Order. But yeah, it's just this hilarious comedic thing where he's like really serious and, and saying, look, I'm really sorry. I I just can't join you right now. And at the same time, they've got like a marching band coming on the stage. That's too great. They're like, no, go away. Dressed as a horse. Yeah. I was going to say that for me, this is a a massively important moment in setting the tone going forward to matches like this, where Mm. they've set the tone to be able to balance genuinely serious stuff and character moments with silly. <laughs> yeah, with this comedy yep. kind of stuff. It's a clear insight into Hangman's character that he doesn't feel like he can join the Dark Order, but he still he can recognize that there's something positive in in him being around the Dark Order because he does ask just to you know can I just hang out with it? Can I just hang out with you guys? And it, there's an interesting contrast between how the Dark Order says yeah and they respect his wishes. Uh, in contrast to how the elite treated him when he started to kind of distance himself from the elite. And you can see how that actually like brings Hangman up and, and sort of builds him up. And you literally even see this in his match with Matt Hardy when the Dark Order lift Hangman up from the buckshot, like Hangman's falling down and he gets lifted back up by the entire Dark Order to hit the buckshot lariat on Matt Hardy and win that match, which is like just this great little visual <laughs> metaphor for for what they're doing for him, you know, as a person uh, and how they're bringing him out of, you know, the depths of something pretty dark that he's been going through. See, that, that, that whole Matt Hardy arc, I remember at the time just think, when I was watching it, it's like, ah, it's showing how man's smart to not get conned by the man, but also mm. it's like a, almost like a momentum carrier feud. Then the Dark Order stuff happened and I was suddenly realised, oh, wait, no, this is the moment he accepts them as friends. Like, this yeah. is it. This is the moment. Yeah. And yeah. I remember the, the pop when that happened, just for that character beat, mm. for him to fall onto his friends to lift him back up. <laughs> the whole metaphor yeah. there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah. Um, that's what I talk about where this uh, story ended up being paced so perfectly, like it had been thought yeah. out ahead of time, just because one mm. beat leads into the other so naturally. Mm. And and just once again, just I, I just thought of it now with them lifting him up for the buckshot. 
it's it's such a great contrast with like the law that we've even got now around the buckshot uh, and around like the elite and springboarding off these ropes where, you know, like there's been moments where they've each held each other back um, from performing these sorts of things. And then there's, of course, to fast forward, there's a moment in the match that he has ultimately with Kenny where Matt gives him the go ahead to to give the buckshot to Kenny. But in this case, you've literally got them helping and assisting him with that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, these little things that, that they all add up. Um, and it, it's I just love that there's so so much attention to detail uh, and how everything sort of builds to this into this grander vision, um, whether it's, you know, intentional or not um, with with, you know, things like the uplifting him. It's just such a great contrast. We should move on, though, uh, to Kenny Omega, who, meanwhile, he is on a tear, an absolute tear through AEW um, after winning the AEW championship in, you know, violent contrast to what's going on with Hangman. Um, you know, after winning the AEW championship against John Moxley at Winter is Coming, Kenny Omega begins to show up everywhere in pro wrestling defending his AAA mega title against Laredo Kid at Triple Mania. He then shows up on Impact alongside Don Callis, challenging and beating Rich Swan for the combined Impact and TNA championships. Um, his full plan for AEW is revealed when he beats Ray Phoenix at New Year's Slam 2021. That's another match that we covered on the first season. Um, when the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, invade from Impact, to back up Kenny and beat down John Moxley in the post-match um, of the Ray Phoenix match. Uh, and eventually, after some back and forth with the Young Bucks, the Bucks agree to join Kenny, Carl, and Doc to form the Super Elite Imp. What did you think of Kenny Omega, the belt collector, uh, and the invasion of the Super Elite in AEW? When AEW launched, I remember there was a, a lot of the criticism, for that first year, there's a lot of criticism of, um, Kenny Omega not bringing the best in the world aside of him to the shows mm. I mean I don't know about you but I just kind of felt like they were kind of in the position to elevate the company around them and mm. then go for it uh, whilst also building up much needed character investment rather than just putting on good matches mm. and so I don't know if we care as much about the belt collector if there isn't that first year if there isn't the whole yep. arc with Hangman in that first time with the books as well uh, so the fact of Kenny just joining up with the books was a a decision <laughs> because of the whole uh, drama with the hangman. But uh, just there, yeah, this gradual, not the gradual turn, but the turn at winter is coming. Uh, I love the character. Uh, they were obviously not 100 percent on what it was going to be. And when like first because it took a little while to reach that peak of really long intro, uh, <laughs> all of his accolades. <laughs> Make sure you say he's from something to do with North Carolina. Then the two girls come out with the broomsticks, start sweeping on the stage as his music starts to change. <laughs> then he's got the white screen in front of one of the tunnels. Then that drops and then he finally appears. <laughs> like just the whole grand entrance. It was uh, so over the top and I absolutely loved it. The, the um, For me, the peak thing, the cherry on top was Don Callis. Mm, like the, yep. the introduction of him, that, that just rounded out the character. It was so perfect. Because uh, it kind of needs somebody to be constantly elevating him onto a pedestal like he is a god. Mm. <laughs> or the whole Kenny, by God, Omega. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Don Callis did an absolute, such a great job in doing that. And Kenny then starts to believe the rhetoric and really does believe, no, I am the god of wrestling. <laughs> Look at me, I've got mm. all of the titles. And like he is an untouchable force in this industry. And mm. 
that is absolutely perfect to become a more more like figurehead heel for mm. someone like Hangman Page to go after. And for me, that the it's a whole arc with John Boxley, I absolutely loved. Um, I think I've said it before. I don't know if I said it on um, like a, a match countdown thing, but for me, the uh, exploding barbed wire death match is absolute from a booking perspective is absolute perfection. It's mm. so good, practically. Fell on its arse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but from a fucking perspective, it's so perfect. Mm. And Kenny really got to kind of just show that side of him. And so mm. at this point in the summer, in Kenny's eyes, he is a god. Like, mm. he cannot be beaten. And just Hangman having the confidence to step up because of his friends, it means so. And that kind of bleeds into the rest of the elite as well. Mm. With um, with the books. Were the books champions at this point? No. No, uh, oh, no, you know they were. They they were sure. champions at full gear. Um, they beat right. FTR at full gear. Oh yeah. So yeah. at the same time that Kenny that Kenny um became number one contender, they became they won full gear. And uh, mm. so the the main thing I remember from Anderson and Gallo's run in AEW was the fact that they had when they were at Denny's place, it had to be edited out a lot of their because <laughs> they kept wanking and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, you can't air this on tv <laughs> like it's interesting you mentioned beforehand that how when kenny when they first started kenny copped a lot of criticism for not being like the ultimate version of himself it's but it's interesting rich ladder um friend of the show rich ladder um he he put it in a really good way that like if omega and the bucks had started out by winning they firstly wouldn't have had anyone to go against. So they had to like make, they had to, Kenny in particular, like he put over Jericho, he put over Pac, he put over Moxley in like the first few pay-per-views. So he'd have people to go against. And they also wouldn't have been able to exist as characters within the show. They would have existed as like, we're the founders of AEW, not we're characters within this program, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and by waiting to this, he was able to launch himself fully as a character um, in such a spectacular way. And of course, you know, he's immediately accepted by the AEW crowds because they're excited to see this. But he's also at that point inserted himself into a story and is a character within the universe of AEW, not just like, you know, the EVP of it um, when it comes to him being on screen. And I think it's like an interesting parallel at this point with Hangman where you've got like Kenny at his most successful, you know, the belt collector winning championships everywhere, surrounded by success at this point, the Young Bucks are champions, the Gallows and Anderson are champions of impact, Um, you know, like arguably he's at like the pinnacle of his career, but he's getting consumed by like narcissism and, you know, greed for more. Whereas Hangman is like, you know, somewhat slumming it with the Dark Order who, you know, even at their peak, they were like, you know, helpless lackeys for for the champion Brody Lee. Um, But at the same time, Hangman is greatly improving as a person um, and is being uplifted, whereas Kenny's like, you know, creating this toxic force around him almost um, that he's the centre of. Uh, I think that's an interesting contrast to this point, even though they're not interacting you can see their, you know, where their, their trajectories are going in different ways, but they're still running in parallel. So I take a massive gulp of water. <laughs> <Why stop? laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's such a fantastic contrast. It's so perfect for this. And uh, you, you can see, uh, the fact that they got it all across in the introductions as well. Mm. Like if you've not yeah. watched anything going into this show or this match or anything, 
you get everything in that opening yep. video for both teams. Yep. You know the exact state of play. You know which side is the confidence with the championships. You yep. know which side is fighting from underneath and which finally mm. kind of accepts each other with this strong bond of friendship. Uh, and even the oh. dynamic of the group, like you even get across that. Well, yeah, he's not officially joining them, but he, they're going to aid him in his fight because they're his friends. Yep. Like, oh, yes. yeah, I'll I'll give you a woo there, cowboy. Um, because we're not we're not up to the intro yet. I know you're keen to get so am I. So am I. We're not we're not quite there yet. I'll, I'll just lastly say I, I like I missed before we get into you know the build to this actual match once they you know sort of come back together again. Um, that you know I missed the super. I miss Gallows and Anderson, <laughs> even though they were like so useless in the ring. I just love how much they added to like the absurdity of. Oh yeah. You know, the Bucks and Kenny, particularly Kenny Omega at this point, he's like a cartoon character um, with the way he's a, a Gallows and Anderson just like in their own absurd way, particularly and like Gallows, you know, his absurd way of being is just was such a perfect compliment to, to Kenny Omega. The, in this the, match, the, he's a cartoon character. In this match, he's announced as Daddy Dingley, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so all of these we've talked about where the you know the two kind of the two are going um and where they're heading all of it the story kind of comes back together on the june 30 episode of dynamite 2021 um the return to daily's place after live crowds have come back um where kenny is in the ring and he declares that no one in AEW can beat him so he won't be defending the AEW title in the company only for Evil Uno, um, backed by the rest of the Dark Order, to come out and remind him that they have a friend who deserves to challenge for the title, um, only for Kenny to say that that person doesn't have the guts, um, doesn't even himself think that he has the right to call himself a champion. Uh, and then that's followed by one of the most like heartwarming moments I think I've ever seen in wrestling. Hangman comes to confront the guys in the back um, because he didn't want them to go out there only for them to tell him that even though he might be scared of failure, they know he can do it. Um, with Alex Reynolds saying, Adam, you've waited long enough for this. It's your time. In, I, I got goosebumps when that particular segment happened. Um, it, it felt like they'd been sort of teasing a little bit on BTE that they were heading in the direction of Hangman, you know, going for the title. They'd, you know, shown this dream sequence where he kind of reveals that the AEW title is still his goal. Um, but when we actually saw it on Dynamite, I was so excited. Oh, it was <laughs> – when we talk about the absolute perfect character beats for each time, like this is another one mm. where – you as an audience have been like we've as you were just saying like we've been, we've been conditioned like okay cool this is where he comes out and he confronts kenny omega but that's what the story dictates that doesn't mean he's actually mentally ready for it and i was like oh mm. i love that <laughs> that clash <laughs> that contradict where yeah we as an audience we're with the dark order at that point we're just ready for him but he's not got the confidence and it's all down to them to just give him that final push it's like no we're behind you you can do this mm. and we were talking about the fact that he just did not feel like he could, even when they showed that they'd be behind him with his friends back at Revolution, they he still didn't believe in himself. And mm. it was that final push from his friends be like, no, you can do this. Oh, it's so good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so and then just with them going back on the road and then going straight into 
this title program that they'd been building to for so long uh, and that the audience, particularly the core AEW audience, was so invested. It just felt like a treat that it was like, oh, we're getting it. It's coming. We're getting this. We're getting this thing we want. Um, and, and we've been looking forward to. Uh, and then, you know, over the coming, the next week, of course, Hangman, Kenny and the Bucks, you know, they'd have a number of in-ring conversations confrontations culminating with omega saying that if hangman and the dark order can beat the super elite in a five-on-five elimination tag match um, he can have a title shot and the dark order can have a shot at the bucks tag titles Um, but if they lose neither of them can happen they get struck from the from the top fives imp what did you think of the like the stretch of tv building up to this match and and with them we'll get to the match in the intros Uh, well, um, we've like it's still a thing that AWE does today relatively well. Is where they have those building episodes where yeah. there isn't any, there aren't like major blow-offs or like spectacular story moments or anything. But it's all character work and it's all building. Mm. I guess uh, the one that jumped to my mind was CM Punk MJF because yes, there were those peak episodes those peak moments which massively swung things uh, down different road but you also got those mm. like smaller moment episodes that were much much needed to build those huge moments mm. and the weeks the weeks running into this were just setting the stage so well and mm. the return to live crowds did absolute wonders <laughs> it just, it, that's for me that's what really really helps you get that hangman pop <laughs> yeah as he charges out to kenny omega mm. <laughs> and uh, uh, and, he, and he saves the Dark Order and all of that stuff. Like it for me, it that that's the final piece of the puzzle. Was it wasn't just a Dark mm. Order behind him, wasn't just his own confidence getting there. The fans also gave him the recognition. Mm. And that was like the final beat. It felt like they were waiting for. Yeah, one of one of the criticisms that the elite get uh, and their brand of storytelling, which is like so centered around human emotion and the relationships, um, is that like it's a bit high high school drama club or sort of like afternoon soap opera stuff. You know, obviously you and I love it uh, and 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 really love the details and love like the sense of continuity to everything and the like the ongoing drama, particularly the way they sort of tease out emotions. But I do under, sort of understand you know where that criticism comes from particularly you know in the build-up to the recent trios match that they had uh there was some moments where there was like you know just some pretty hokey acting going on as much as i loved like what they were saying i can kind of see where people were coming from but i think this particular stretch of tv is the best they like ever did it putting that character drama on tv on a week-to-week basis oh yeah as you were just saying that we're massive fans of it and yeah because some people can't see the grandest like you're seeing it right now with um sammy guevara eddie kingston to, to put a date on mm. <laughs> where we're at sorry <laughs> like, like possession wise where if you look at the comments on the uh, aw's postings on twitter or on youtube or whatever there are so many people seemingly angry at the, the company uh, but, but <laughs> it's one of the things where what when you look at what they're saying like well no they're angry in the way the baddie won, which mm. is the whole point. <laughs> this is the whole point. Yeah. As in, the the bigger picture is just not visible to everybody. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yes, there are those who take everything at face value and don't see metaphor or whatever. That everything is a metaphor. It's like, well, why do they just plainly say it? It's like, well, that's boring, isn't it? <laughs> why can't we be creative with stuff? But AW have always, uh, well, with their bigger feuds especially, they do tend to plant the seeds, plant the thoughts. 
when they mm. start hinting at a thing, that's normally because they are going to do it. I think the only time they've ever started mentioning stuff which then didn't come fully through was, I guess, FDR starting to mention Bret Hart when Bret Hart didn't arrive, but instead they had a friendship with CM Punk. <laughs> like it, I guess that's the closest I can think of where on screen they were te- teasing something big and then down the line it didn't happen. In mm. AW, they're teasing it because it's going to happen. And we as fans by WWE were conditioned to not think that way just because we got so used to continuity being, I was about to say 50-50, but maybe closer to 30-70. <laughs> like it just, we're just used to that world. So with AW just planting those stories, slowly letting them play out, they have to essentially recondition the audience. And that's what Triple H is having to do right now. And you can see it in the crowd mm. reactions where they're having their stories, they're having to recondition the audience who pretty much just Pavlovian reactions to stuff. Like, and mm. AEW did a fantastic job of doing that, uh, possibly the turning point being Eddie Kingston, where he gave that really heartfelt uh, mental health promo, and somebody in the crowd mm. started doing the what chants or whatever to uh, his pauses. He just shut him down, and I don't think I've heard a proper what chant <laughs> since. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just <laughs> a huge thank you to Eddie Kingston for that. But that, just, that was just this sign that AEW are doing something bigger here, if you start chanting what in the pauses, then you're not paying attention to the story. Mm. And AW are all about that. Yeah. And yeah, as, as you said, like, I think part of it is that this didn't rely too heavily on like just expositional dialogue, which I don't think is any wrestler is particular. Like there's very few wrestlers, I should say, that are particularly good at laying that out. This was, you know, all in the like the cowboy coming out to save his crew and Kenny Omega getting like frustrated and flustered and, and, you know, angry, which is just hilarious in, you know, in that persona. And then you've got, you know, all the, the chaos with the dangly, you know, doc dangly gallows, you know, <laughs> doing his thing. And um, yeah, look, as I said, I, I love the, I, I love the build up to this and I think it's the best they've done with producing and, and putting in their style of drama and their style of storytelling. But let's, Let's get into the match, Imp. I know you've been chomping at the bit to do it. Um, <laughs> of course, this match kicked off Dynamite. It was Fight for the Fallen. Uh, it kicks it off with an all, just an all-time intro. Um, it's a video package featuring not just Hangman, but all of the Dark Order. It's set to an alternate version of Ghost Town Triumph, Hangman's um, intro. And I'm just going to read it out word for word, Imp, because uh, it's my podcast, so you'll have to indulge me. <laughs> <laughs> What is it that makes a cowboy? It's not the boots or the buckle. It's not the chaps. It's not the jeans. It's not the lasso and cow. It's not the horse or the saddle. You might think they're all gone, but you don't need a hat to be a cowboy. A cowboy isn't too busy to lend a hand to a partner, not too proud to take one either. When they get knocked in the dirt, bloodied and trampled, a cowboy dusts themselves off and gets back up, and they'll stand by their partners and challenge those who have it all. And they'll keep riding till they find their peace. Then it cuts to the arena. Uh, at the entrance ramp, you get spotlights hitting for each of the Dark Order to the cues of the music, with Hangman in the middle wearing purple trim gear before they hit the ring together. Uh, Uh, Throughout this all, the crowd's just going mental, um, chanting cowboy shit, just roaring 
roaring in favour of the Dark Order and Hangman Adam Page. In, when I first watched this, I felt like I wanted to like run through a wall. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've I've watched this intro like so many times, just in the the just in the prep for this podcast, uh, and I'm getting goosebumps like rolling through it now. Is this the best intro that AEW has ever done? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so elevated by what comes next as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just in terms of absurdity and in terms of the match itself. Yeah. Like, for me, like the other notes for this intro where it shows every member of the Dark Order and you've got the shadow against the wall, but all of their shadows have the cowboy hat on as well. Yep. Show. Yep. <laughs> it's like, these are all cowboys by heart. It's like, oh, yes. <laughs> yep. And for me, it's the fact that that video plays. You can just feel the atmosphere in the crowd. Then yep. the lights come on, like the dung, dung, and then straight into Hangman. <laughs> and did you, well, just while we're talking about that, did you catch that there was an empty spotlight for Brody? I did, yes. I, I remember, yeah, well, so I, I beautiful. Didn't, I didn't catch it when I I'm first watched start crying watched. again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, well, I didn't notice when I first watched the match, but on Twitter afterwards, someone was like, oh, yeah. my God, <laughs> they left a spotlight for Brody. He's like, oh, mm. my heart. <laughs> it's, um, it's, 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 it's sort of like we're talking about little details. That is just another one that amplifies mm. so much about this. And... Um, it's just so perfect. <laughs> it's then going. But this is a this is a package that gets like all the little details perfect. Like just the way they, you know, the the narration is talking about what it means to be a cowboy and it's telling the story of Hangman's last like 9 months and it's to the it's intercut with action, you know, that bit with as I said like the a cowboy will help his mates uh, and isn't afraid to take a hand either. And you get the shot of him being lifted up for that buckshot lariat. Um, and, you know, when he's down and dirty and bloodied and then there's a shot of him being bloodied in that Brian Cage match. It's just like all of those little moments. And, you know, this is the only time, this is the first and only time that Hangman's worn purple trim gear. Uh, and he even, like, there's a spot, I think it's on, B, I think it was on BTE, not Dynamite, but as we said, like, BTE is the extended version of, of these great, these characters' careers, where he's, like, excited because he's got this gear that he's wanted to wear. He says he's wanted to wear it for a while. Uh, and that sort of, like, shows how. Hangman's sort of come on a journey to of how he accepts the Dark Order, gone from being like, no, I don't want to join you, to being excited to show them this gear he's got, which puts him as part of the Dark Order. And then, you know, like the production elements, the the spotlights hitting to the beats of this song, um, to the way that it like crescendos um, with the beat, drops out again so they can do their pause and then comes back even stronger with, like, strings and choir coming in the end. Like, from a production element, from a storytelling element, this this thing's just incredible. The only other ones I can compare it to um, is, like, Punk against MJF at Revolution when he came out to um, Misery Kantara, the, the Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks, and then I was, like, struggling to to think of anything else, maybe like Cody versus Dustin from the first double or nothing, or when Jericho had the choir sing him out. But even those, like for me, like nothing beats this because of how perfectly it sums up his character, the journey the character's been on and how the crowd just blows the roof off. It's uh, <laughs> We talk about investment in characters and things, and this is just mm. 
peak of it. Yeah. The absolute peak. It's mm. um there's a reason I picked this match. And obviously yes. <laughs> the match is fun. <laughs> which helps. Yeah. <laughs> Massively helps. Uh, but this introduction just captures all of the emotion in a bottle so so yeah. perfectly. And yeah. uh, that, that then sets us up for the villains. <laughs> yeah, it's only it is. It's only half of the intros for this match because then we get Justin Roberts on the mic and he announces and this is to apparently this is the theme to the Chicago Bulls that they would come out to for like their big finals matches. And he says, And now the starting lineup for your world champion elite squad. At two twenty guard from Tokyo, Carl Anderson. The man in the middle, 292 from Tokyo, Doc Dangly Gallows. At forward, 6'6 from Rancho Cucamonga, Nick Trickshot Jackson. At forward, 6'6 from Rancho Cucamonga, Mr. Instant Replay, Matt Jackson. And the only person from North Carolina at guard, 224 pounds, Kenny Air Omega. And then you're ready for this from Space Jam hits uh, and the Super Elite run down the ramp, like run through one of those, um, I don't know what you call them, like banners, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what, I think in America they like, the sports teams have. Yeah. yeah, they do it at AFL here in Australia, but I live in rugby league heartland, so I don't really follow that either. <laughs> um, but then they like dunk some basketballs to on like a kid's ring <laughs> before hitting the ring. Yeah. Uh, and they've got like elite squad uniforms, which is – you know, uh, a play on Space Jam Toon Squad uniforms. Uh, and, of course, at that moment, uh, I think Space Jam 2 was just released. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like a piece of corporate synergy. Um, what did you think of the Elites intro, Imp? <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's, it's mm. the perfect contract. So in terms of, like, capturing the emotion of a crowd in a bottle, you then go into absurd, this video contains sponsored content stuff. <laughs> like, it's it's yeah. so good. <laughs> I I I loved it so much. Uh, yeah, for my Space Jam 2 was about to release, and of course that being with uh, mm. Warner Media being their business daddy, they obviously were like, oh, yeah, it's it's the absolute like business dream world of like natural product integration. <laughs> like mm. it, work, it works so damn well, just because it because it it's also all the character stuff with it. Because yes, it is absurd, but also it shows they're not taking this anywhere near the same level of seriousness as yep. the Dark Order and Hangman are. Like they've got nothing to lose here. It's it's having the dark order have got everything to lose. Whilst they're super confident, it's like well yeah, even if they don't win the match, which obviously they're going to win the match, obviously. But if they mm. weren't, well they're going to still retain the title, so who cares? <laughs> like it's they're so blasé. And as we're saying that like, um, on the way to the ring, they're taking shots at a kid's basketball net. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> and the, and they're celebrating like they're all just like amazing at basketball. <laughs> it's, 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 oh it's. It, tonally absolutely perfect in contrast to the Hangman mm. Dog Order's entrance. And it's partly what I was saying where you don't need to have seen any of the other story to instantly know. Mm. Like this tells you everything in terms of uh, how they're entering the match, like where they are in the pecking order and just everything. Mm. Imp, what did I call Kenny Omega earlier? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a memory past five minutes. I, de- I described him as a cartoon character. Oh, you did? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. this is the fulfillment of this, isn't it? Like, they are literally cartoon characters in this yes. thing coming out with, like, all the arrogance and goofiness. You know, the play off the Chicago Bulls for how, like, incredible they are. And then, you know, there's – but even even amongst all the craziness and the zaniness, um, which I love, is there's, like, some really cool little notes. So, like, all of the numbers they've got on the back of their of their jumpers mean something. Um, Carl Anderson has got 2012 um, because that's the year that he reached the G1 final, um, as he'll remind you for the rest of his life. <laughs> Kenny Omega has 23 um, to match Michael Jordan um, and sort of the Bulls and Michael Jordan theme that he's been going with. Matt Jackson has 13 on the back, which is his lucky number, apparently. Um, I got that one from Caro. Doc Gallows has 69 because, of course, he does. <laughs> um, the only one I couldn't work out exactly what it was is Nick Jackson has 777. I, I put some feelers out to different people who love the Elite. The best we could come up with was that it's a riff on 666, um, which is like the devil's number, of course, um, from Revelation in Bible. And Nick Jackson, of course, is Christian AF, and <laughs> 7 is the number of God. Uh, so 777. Oh, that's the best you go. There's, What's your well? There's Lucky Seven 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 Casino, which I oh yes, because he's got a gambling addiction now. Look, yeah. maybe it was a forerunner yeah. to that. Who knows? <laughs> I, was, I was just googling it, going, "Have I made this up? Is this real?" Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, like in BTE, they've got that joke that he's a gambling addict. So, yeah. Oh, well, maybe that's it. Anyway, um, let's get to the actual, yeah, all-time intros, just like incredible intros um, that, you know, set the scene so perfectly for for what's about to come. The actual match itself, Hangman wants to start out with Kenny Omega, um, but Carl Anderson pulls Omega away. On commentary, Don Callis says, we're going to make him wait for it. Uh, and <laughs> instead we get, you know, Carl Anderson and Hangman locking up. Hangman gets like an advantage early on because he's, you know, he by far better than Carl Anderson, but he's distracted by Mac Jackson sledging him from the outside uh, and then get hit, gets hit from Kenny from behind, and then things break out. You get an all-in brawl, and this sets up the first major spot of the match, which is Alex Reynolds superplexing Nick Jackson onto a pile of brawling bodies outside. I like how in like the early goings on of this match, things are structured around the feature spots for the Dark Order members because they, you know, they kind of don't get giant roles going throughout the match, um, except for maybe, you know, you could argue Uno and Johnny and John Silver do. Um, but it's nice that they still, you know, Alex Reynolds and um, Stu Grayson still get moments of spotlight early on. Yeah, they, uh, I think because it was, but that's something that's kind of needed when you're going up against the super elite of all established guys in one way or another. Where mm. you kind of need to, in those early stages, just lift up the Dark Order a bit just to create mm. that, um, just create that feeling that they could win this. Like, to yeah. Just, just lift them up at least so they could be in, in competition with rather than just, well, well, no, obviously the better guys will win. Mm. Well, no, you elevate, elevate the good guys up to the occasion, up to the moment. And yep. uh, for me, that's what this early, the early stage of the match were kind of doing. Like they were teasing mm. the big confrontation that was about those going to blow the roof off the place. Yeah. But, but also they were elevating all of the other members in there as well. And mm. the, fa- the fact that the Super Elite were all 
already established he didn't have to do anything for their team really really helps because that means they mm. can just focus on the dark order give them their yep. moments before eliminating them but <laughs> give them their moments <laughs> give them yeah. their moments yeah, pretty pretty soon after that superplex, Reynolds is eliminated. He gets rolled up by Carl Anderson with a handful of trunks, of course, which puts the Elite ahead at 5-4. The Dark Order then surround Anderson. They take turns hitting him with forearms, uh, and Silver gets a pump kick before Grayson and Udo hit their double-team finisher. The fatality uh, on, on Carl Anderson with Udo getting the pin to tie things up at 4-4. If I could give this match one criticism, I think that early on I felt like things went maybe a little bit too fast, like they were rushing things along a little bit. Well, normally when we rewatch stuff, we're normally saying the other way round, just because when you rewatch it, the ad breaks really slow the momentum down mm. uh, in watching this stuff. But yeah, I felt that as well. Where it, 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 it I think it sticks out because it, we're not used to it, mm. because we are used to it just playing out a little bit longer. But on a broadcast where this was just the opening match, and that's probably one of the problems, is that mm. it was they gave it like 30, 40 minutes, mm. which was, but they still had to blast through eliminations. And maybe yeah. that's because we're praising the entrances so much. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that does come at a cost. But it's well. like, yeah, like the entrances together are probably, I didn't time it out, but I'm guessing they're over five minutes together. You know, and so that cuts down the amount of time you've got. And you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to rush the ending to this match. Yeah. God. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe TK was just being a bit stingy with the TV time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, knowing knowing Tony Khan, there was a match which probably could have been cut. <laughs> like it's fine. There's normally one. <laughs> I think um I think it's possible as well they might have been rushing towards an ad break with this particular yeah. pin because yeah, things absolutely. after it happens things immediately do slow down for an ad break on and on the broadcast John Silver and Stu Grayson get like some moments working over Matt Jackson but any pin pin attempt is like quickly broken up by the elite members so that that's possibly it. Uh, like the uh, we uh, will um, praise the momentum of the anarchy in the arena match, but mm. one thing that really helps that is it's on pay per view. So, oh yeah. Oh, there are no ad break laws or anything. You can just keep yeah. that momentum going. And if this match was on pay per view, they probably could have really kept it going. Obviously, we know mm. why it wasn't, but um, that, yeah, it's probably one of the reasons this isn't in people's top tens. <laughs> it's like for me, this in my I, I voted for this match. <laughs> but maybe that's one of the reasons why yeah um back from a break Stu grayson hits like this incredible looking sky twister press it's like a springboard oh, yeah. corkscrew moonsault onto the pack on the outside but it's like the the part the pack pile parts for him and he just lands like flat on his back on the floor yeah, and it's so like it just kills him <laughs> but he, he gets up and he brawls with gallows out into the crowd but then they're both counted out so that's three three as i said like i get what they're doing but i didn't necessarily like it um and at this point i i didn't think we're on track for greatness in terms of the actual match itself even though like the goodwill of the intros is still you know, filling me with filling me with happiness. <laughs> we well, could sense it in the crowd as well, uh, especially on mm. rewatch where you're paying more attention to that sort of stuff. Yeah, they 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 booed uh, Grayson's elimination because obviously it, mm. it sometimes when matches like this enter the rhythm of person gets their big spot and then is immediately eliminated. It's like oh, mm. but that means that nobody left in the match is carrying momentum because you keep eliminating. You give someone their spot, then eliminate them. It's like well, 
well, who's got momentum then? <laughs> yeah, so that's the uh, that's one of my gripes with like battle royals and things like that. Like you've got to have someone stay in there and with mm. momentum of some sort, otherwise it's just things happening. And, yeah, uh, this match tore with the quick eliminations. Obviously, mm. it toyed with it in parts. Yeah, which is um, obviously not my favourite thing. It's one of those things where I understand why it happens from a production point of view, but from the actual mm. creative uh, output itself, it's like ah, yeah, it. Uh, it definitely detracts mm. from it. And again, the crowd are the meter <laughs> and they spoke. Mm. They're like, mm, that was a bit. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think part of it as well is like this match. And we're going to talk about the ending of it, which is, you know, it very, very soon we're going to notice a, a trajectory upwards. Uh, and that's because they're making the star of Hangman Adam Page shine so brightly. But I think part of it could have been like the reason that, you know, that gets booed and this doesn't feel like, you'd love it to is because I think the crowd wanted this to be a bit for the dark order as much as for hangman Adam page. Oh, yeah. And you're kind of really seeing them get put in their place, even though, you know, it's not like there's this great lead that the elite are getting to. They're not going up like five, three it's Carl Anderson and doc gallows that get eliminated. And it, it's pretty clear what's going on. Uh, and, and I think the crowd possibly wanted more for the rest of the dark order. Um, not just hangman Adam page, which is possibly why, you know, like straight away after those two brawl off, you get evil Uno and Omega in the ring. And, you know, while Uno gets some hits on Kenny Omega, he's no match for the world champ. He gets V triggered and one winged angel out for it. And then Callis says, you could have counted to a hundred, but at that point it's like, oh, all of the Dark Order except for John Silver are gone. And, you know, it didn't feel like they didn't get much chance in the match at all. Yeah, I feel like, again, I feel like it's purely down mm. to the pacing of those early moments. Mm. It, it just, uh, yeah, they gave them their moments to get in a little bit of shine. But what, I think mm-hmm. it's once Grayson got eliminated, he just kind of sensed it a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it was when it goes down to just Hangman and Silver in those final stages. Like, yes, because uh, Silver obviously given his firecracker moment and the fact mm. that like they very clearly knew that this is like the most popular mm. Dark Order guy when he's in that ring, so you cannot eliminate him early. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, and he's like he's like the guy that Hangman sort of took a liking to the most as well. Mm. So it's like Hangman and his sidekick. Um, and and honestly, like once it gets down to Hangman and John Silver. That's where, for me, this match, as a match itself, oh, yeah. not just the presentation with the intro, but as a match itself, this is where it, like, really gets good. I I love how over John Silver is, but he is there, like, taking punishment, taking punishment. So when that tag happens for Hangman Page, it's, you know, it, it's just incredible. The crowd is just so into it. Oh, they're so hot for it. <laughs> it's a... Uh... The the ending sequence of this match, the crowd. Mm. I say sequence, ending what five seven yep. minutes. <laughs> it's just mm. oh, it's so so good. And mm. they're, they're in full attention to absolutely everything. Yeah. It, it, for me, it's the thing of they're not just cheering for a wrestler they like. They are invested in this character, and mm. it speaks absolute volumes in this moment. And just seeing Hangman really kind of step up, it's, mm. even though the Dark Order. Because it's a weird one, because it felt like going into this match, I would have expected Hangman to also elevate the performance of the Dark Order. It just felt narratively right. Mm. Uh, but the fact that that didn't happen, um, it was kind of like, oh, that's uh, it, like momentum wise. It feels like he 
him by himself has now got to just step up to the occasion, even yeah. though Dark Horde kind of just fell to the yeah. side. Which is a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Silver, Silver does get like his almost signature offense where he just kind of runs wild on the outside, um, you know, hitting the elite and Brandon Cutler with everything he's got. Um, but once again, like it's not enough, particularly with Kenny Omega in the ring being the difference, um, hitting a half and half suplex and V trigger to stop Silver's momentum um, before the Bucks hit him with an indie taker to the outside. Um, and then Nick does like uh, attempts to dunk a basketball yeah. off, the spring, <laughs> off the springboard. Yeah. Um, and I love it. Like at this point, Callis says, these three could have all played in the NBA. <laughs> oh, but, it's, it's so perfect given that um, he, he, he missed. Yeah. <laughs> he missed on the <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, we they then get the BTE trigger on him uh, and it's 3-1 up. Um, very lopsided. But, you know, as we said, like this was done ultimately to set up Hangman for like the hero's moment where he faces off with all three of the elite um, and finally like is in the ring and Kenny Omega tags in to go up against Paige. Like these two finally meeting in the middle of the ring again after their full gear match, after everything that's gone in the gone on behalf, gone on um, before that as well. Omega like spits in Paige's face and the pair start trading blows and then the numbers game does catch up to Paige. Uh, but even though the elite get like a number of double and even like triple teams on him, they can't put the cowboy away, you know, cause as we outlined at the start, like he's been through so much and he keeps getting back up again. Like even just physically, I just love watching these four men, like anytime they're in the ring together, <laughs> like their chemistry is is so great um, that they can make it look, you know, even when you've got three verse one, they can make it look so perfect. They, uh, oh yes, the stories they tell. Oh, if, when you see the comments of the young, young books are just spot monkeys, they don't tell stories. It's like you can't possibly be watching anything they do. Yeah, what are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> what are you watching? There is so much here. Uh, just the. We're feeding back all the way to Revolution 2020. Your partner doesn't believe that took place in 2020 because of the pandemic, but <laughs> yeah, so all the way back into 2020 with that. And it's just all of that drama, everything that's taken place. And Hangman is now, he's got the confidence to step up against them. Mm. And I, f- I feel like this is the moment where you believe it, that he mm. could actually take the fight to Kenny. It won't be like full gear. Like he could, he will genuinely, mm. uh, Kenny's in trouble. Um, but obviously at this point in the match, Kenny steps into the ring with him after they've all kind of taken a beating and it's three yeah. on one. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but like we as wrestling fans, we're conditioned when we see like a three on two or three on one and it's a elimination match and the heels have the advantage. We've seen these matches before. <laughs> we know what yeah. happens. We know they're going to be all cocky and it will cost them in the end. Maybe one of them will hit their partner by accident. Hangman will get in a book shot and surprise eliminate one of them. And then he's got all the momentum again. Mm. But they turn that against us. And yeah. I was like, oh, I, I love stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> you build up that expectation on purpose mm. so that you can then zig instead of zag. Yeah. It, me, it makes the ending so much stronger. Even just with these four guys, like they're all super athletic guys, but they also have like just such complete trust in one another. They, you know, they like – they know where the other one will be just implicitly without even looking. So the most intricate stuff they do can just be done like so fast and so seamlessly, 
you know, there's this one moment where Hangman like flips over Kenny into a double team from the Young Bucks. And for it to work without there being any pausing, things had to be inch perfect for every four, like every person who's in the ring. And they just like pull it off so effortlessly. It's like barely a passing thing. Uh, And it's super intricate, super tight, and just looks so perfect. Like you watch it and you think, why did it take so long for trios titles? (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. it, was just, it was just so separate it's so perfect oh don't don't talk about that in that's sad <laughs> i mean the, 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 oh. the, the other team i got that feeling with uh, unfortunately is the house of black <laughs> where yeah. uh, they would also just do so perfectly timed moments <laughs> as yeah. a trio's team it's just like ah yeah. oh, oh, we're not gonna get it <laughs> we're not getting our elite versus house of black oh. <laughs> but still they um yeah, this match was for me. Yeah, it definitely in the middle. The, the few pacing wobbles, just mm. as you kind of rattle through and avoid the ad break. Time. And maybe on a pay per view, you don't have to work around ad yep. breaks, so it maybe flows a bit better. Yep. But they bring it back in the end, and they it's how you leave them, and they leave yep. the, the perfect note to then move on to the next stage as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, especially when oh. it comes next. Yeah, it sets it up so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the climax of this match like really starts to hit uh, as Hangman hits Omega with a powerbomb. Uh, Omega then manages to just tag in Matt Jackson. Uh, Hangman takes advantage of the champ being down finally. Uh, he avoids a number of double team moves on the Young Bucks before he hits a double buckshot lariat on them uh, and gets the pin on Matt. Um, that's like, I guess, the belief spot in watching this when he was 3-1 down. Did you think there was a chance for him to win? Oh, I, I, they said what I was just talking about, where we're so used to that formula. We have been conditioned. We see mm. heels up three on one with the babyface who's about to challenge. We know he's being built up for the title. Mm. We know how this goes. <laughs> and I was, yeah. I was fully convinced that's what we were seeing. We were going to see the ego and the cockiness of the elite that had been set up from the start of this match. Mm. <laughs> they are not taking it seriously. They are super cocky. And like for me, every every note was there that we're going to see Hangman mm. take advantage and sneak the win. Like, I was mm. fully convinced. But in the final like two minutes, reality hit, and I feel like yep. that's, what, that's why the ending is so strong. Yeah, like, yeah. Your, your expectations, the, the finish doesn't come out of nowhere. Like mm. you fully know, Hangman is done. <laughs> he is he is not getting out of this. Yeah, I like Nick Jackson in 2022. I've developed a gambling habit. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I've, I have started like gambling small amounts of money on AEW just as like, I don't know, I just find it as a fun thing to do. But I'm glad it wasn't around when this match happened because I would have <laughs> oh, yeah. lost money on this match. <laughs> I really thought Hangman was going to win. And I did think, I was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. He's going to get it. But, you know, I'm kind of glad he didn't because it means that he didn't pin Omega until he beat Omega in a one-on-one, which I think is good um, because it preserves that um, and it makes what he did at Full Gear 2021 more special. You know, but he gets he gets that ray of hope when he pins Matt and he's got Nick down. But Omega gets back in, hits him with the belts. Um, Hangman gets a dead eye on Omega for a two-count, moves to hit the buckshot on Omega, but then, and we've got to mention this, Nick Jackson grabs Hangman's leg um, in an echo of how Hangman grabbed Nick's leg 
a year before. Um, he cost the Young Bucks the match in the tag team gauntlet, um, which ultimately FTR ended up winning. And this loses the match for Hangman in this in this instance. So it kind of all comes full circle with that. It creates a distraction. It's enough for Omega to get up, dodge the buckshot lariat, hit Hangman with a belt, and just a bevy of V-triggers, then a one-winged angel for the win. Um, it's a heartbreaking ending. I didn't know how to take it at the time, Imp. I honestly did not. Uh, I loved it at the time. <laughs> you saw that just array of uh, reactions online, especially about, like because we don't live in America. We watch the I think we end up watching these shows around a similar time, like me in the morning, you at night time. Uh, so all the reactions are already out there by the time we finish the show. Mm. <laughs> it's going just to see just the complete array of different reactions to it. Uh, and again, the my favourite contrasting ones are those fully in the moment, unable to see anything else. <laughs> and mm. those who are praising it as the kind of setup that it was. And those that knew that uh, uh, Hangman Page uh, was about to have a baby. Um, <laughs> jealous yeah, yeah very um oh, i forgot the word no i say dead i've probably the whole over the top thing in my head i've lost the first word of it so it's dead <laughs> it doesn't matter uh but yeah the uh just the the, the, the yeah, you've got people with the inside knowledge type mm. of thing you've got yep. a whole mixture of reactions and stuff whilst mine was definitely on the side of this is absolutely perfect in setting up the future because you don't get moments like this in wrestling mm. really like as much to say that like, I was fully convinced, given the momentum of everything, and all mm. out was coming out as well. It was like, ah, oh, he's having a kid, but maybe he can do the one, one or two shows or something. But of course, like Hammond Page was like a nice example from Tony. He was like, well, no, no, like I'm not, I'm not Vince. If you're Vicky Steamboat, you want to be with your kid, be with your kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's. <laughs> uh, and possibly this is the type of thing that then gave like Moxie the confidence later down in the year. And yeah. It's. Uh, mm. It's it's a nice kind of sense set uh, precedent that's what we're looking for a nice precedent mm. to kind of set with this as well like even yeah. though Hangman was set for the future like yeah he let him like go and raise a newborn baby uh, the, yeah yeah he's uh, the offspring of which his legacy shall be set <laughs> <He is>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it's something from like the Lord of the Rings show where it's like you are say, uh, a husband saying to his wife or something like you are the well of which my legacy shall birth <laughs> I was like what <laughs> who speaks like that <laughs> um I yeah look because obviously the next week um they they beat him down again and he's written off TV for a while and like you knew that this was the story and you trust them to pull it off but at the same time Later on, you know, coming into AEW at this point, you've got Andrade coming in, Malachi Black comes in, then you've got like the big one, two, three punch of CM Punk coming in, and then Adam Cole and Brian Danielson at all out. And I just remember thinking, Hangman's missing the mo. Like, is this, is he going to miss his moment because these other guys have come in and got gotten hotter? And you know, the part of me that saw. Dean Ambrose get looked over in say 2016 um, and, you know, and then come back and, and not be hot enough. And yeah, like that, that part of me sort of really was worried. Um, even though I, like I knew I could trust these guys, there's still a part of my fandom that was like, you know, 
worried, I guess I'd say, worried yeah. that it wasn't going to come off. Um, and of course I was wrong, but yeah, heartbreaking ending to the match, but it was a, the right ending because it, it preserves the world championship. It preserves Hangman getting that win over Kenny Omega. Um, it let Omega's run go for longer. And, and to be frank, like Omega deserved to have a longer run than this. I, I wish it had lasted, you know, like uh, it, it, it's sad that it, we now know it was so, so affected by his injury, but it wouldn't have been right for him to lose the championship so early into it, particularly with the return of crowds. Um, All Out wasn't the right time for him to lose the championship, even if it felt like Hangman had so much momentum um, in the lead-up to All Out if he had, in fact, won this match. Yeah, it it was the right decision, but at the time I was worried. (laughs) (laughs) It it kind of works on... I I think for some reason by that point I'd... I felt like I could trust AEW um, with their kind of long-term stuff. Because uh, I think at the time as well, I think the thing that's massively shifted from then to now is, of course, the perception of wrestling as a whole, where AEW were this refreshing, brand-new take on how to tell stories, and WWE were incompetent at best. <laughs> mm. Like, it was just uh, uh, damaging their characters at worst. <laughs> like, it was... Uh, AEW could almost do no... And I had so much faith in them. And when it came to this arc, I had full faith that this was to set up Hangman Page returning mm. and then go for the title later. Of mm. course, I had the I, I knew the news like I'm plugged in and with the whole uh, the news that he was having a baby. Mm. He wasn't going to be at all out. I think this was this was known shortly after the match or maybe shortly mm. before. I can't remember. Um well, I just felt that trust was there. Like this was mm. purely setting up a character. I think, it was, and because it was specifically the Hangman arc. Mm. Like, if this had happened in the women's division, I don't know if I would have had the same amount of confidence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's slow builds, and then there's Jamie Hater, Britt Baker. <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I love a slow build like as much as the rest of us. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had that trust, and I felt like this mm. was specifically setting something up. And it was like, like with MGF where he uh, did the whole spiel and uh, wasn't seen for ages. I felt the same thing here where mm. and I didn't even clock till just now that it's a similar thing in terms of character has a big moment and then disappears for a while towards mm. the end of the summer, then returns in the autumn. <laughs> and it's huge. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just to have that confidence that this mm. is setting up a thing mm. and uh, this is going somewhere. <laughs> and it, it, I just have to be patient and wait. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the distraction of all distractions in CM Punk massively aided. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Brian Danielson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that uh, Adam Cole as well, like that yeah. all out. It's like oh my, like an all-time kind of peak momentum AEW was at all mm. out, and Hammond Page was still to come later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now. Just as a match itself, um, I just want to talk about the legacy of this match. I honestly think from a just a match individually, I think this this is potentially a little bit overrated. I, I love the five versus five elimination tag style match. I think you can tell really interesting stories with it. But I think there's been plenty, particularly that WWE's done at Survivor Series, that have done better than this one. I think in immediately I think of 2001 where you've got the invasion, 
2003, where you've got Austin versus Bishop, Team Austin versus Team Bishop, and you've got Shawn Michaels putting on this in- incredible babyface performance. Uh, 2009, where CM Punk and Randy Orton, like, together, this, like, really cool heel, heel duo that's, like, being the center center point of their team 2014 where you've got like this Dolph Ziggler performance from you know where he's 3-1 down and and everything against him and just this incredible babyface performance where he actually wins it uh and and particularly I love 2016 as well um where you've got like the first Raw versus Smackdown after the new brand split and just the way they wove so many stories together in it I think I think they're all better than this as an actual match itself but Man, just the presentation at the start, I think that's what people love about this match so much is is just how how much it was presented and how much of a high it was being a fan of the product at this time. Oh, it's, it's to have so much investment in. I think, I think that was the difference was we'd been used to that world where we supported the wrestlers, but we weren't invested in their storylines or characters. Mm. In, in particularly NXT opened the door for that in terms of uh mm. to see that and then aw did it comp did it did it properly <laughs> essentially mm. just the uh when you watch this match and when you uh, watch the rest of the hangman arc they are not just it's not just the excitement of seeing a wrestler doing good vessels uh, obviously that's mm. there uh, ray phoenix exists <laughs> but mm. there's still the fact that they're, they're invested in the characters and the storylines and that's what this match was Mm. When Hangman loses, the crowd are sad with him. They're not. Mm. Some people, some people are online as angry at the booking, but that seems mm. to be confusing. I didn't like experiencing the sad thing. Confusing that with mm. the thing being bad. <laughs> like you see that quite often. Like you can mm. see confused. I don't like with bad. Like they're not the same thing. And yeah, for me, uh, like it's one of those. It's weird where character-wise, this match is so on a tee. It's so perfect. Mm. But I, I talk about how much I love this match. I, when I did my votes for the uh, definitive match guide, I only placed it 15. Like, I only just got it on my list. Mm. And I had to drop matches that I consciously thought were <laughs> definitely on the list. <laughs> uh, like, I, I'm pretty certain I dropped a Daniel, one of the Danielson singles classic matches, be it like Eddie Kingston or, um, or Suzuki or something. I dropped one of those <laughs> so I could get this on the list. But as I, I'm fully conscious that it, uh, it's more to do with this stuff outside of uh, the moment, like the match momentum or all, the, all of that critique mm. stuff. Like outside of how many stars was the action? For me, the story is an investment in the characters is just as important. Yeah. And that's kind of like yeah. the, the round away point I was trying to get to. <laughs> it's just that. Well, that's the that's the thing about a like wrestling, right? It's more than just the matches. Mm. Uh, I didn't have this as top fifteen, but I can totally understand why people love it so much and why they wanted to put it wanted to to remember it and have it remembered in the list because it was just like such a high as a fan and the presentation was so spot on um so you know i don't think people are wrong or anything for for rating this highly um you know i guess just for me it's it's a part it's it's a part it's a high in the broader story um but it's for me it's not like the one of the climactic points if that makes sense Oh, yeah. I mean, we would get yeah. to that moment later. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, yep. yeah. which kind of makes it why it's, it's kind of why it, it makes this one quite a really interesting one to talk about. Just yeah. Because, like, narratively, where it sits, momentum wise, where it sits, like, it's right before All Out mm. and all of those debuts. It's, yeah. Uh, it's before Hangman reaches his full peak. Mm. 
It's just a return from live crowds. It's arguably mm. AEW at their storytelling best. Mm. Um, I was about to say, I don't know if they've hit it since, but seeing Book MGF was an all-time feud. <laughs> seeing yeah. mistakes online generally gets to me. I'm just like, what do you mean seeing Punk has a disappointing run? Punk MGF, yeah. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is an absolute high of uh, AW's storytelling mm. uh, side. And obviously production, because the uh, yep. the videos and the entrances are, that you can just revisit them. <laughs> They're so mm. good. And they just bring that emotion out of you. Uh, yeah, so just wanted to give a shout out to Outside Interference for their series and uh, where there were uh, the videos, especially on this match, and just just capturing just the all of the moments running into it, the story and the emotion. You, you get all of it, and mm. uh, they also understood that to really feel the impact of uh, this whole story, you need the entrance, and it's mm. it's just oh, it's <laughs> it hits the emotional beats so well, yeah. and just seeing it in context of the rest of the story mm. as well. It, it leads to such a great arc. And... Of, of of course, this match, like this story, just like continues. It continued through to Hangman beating Kenny Omega, uh, and then continued onwards beyond that as well, through to like them the trios championship match that we saw, and like the toing and froing of if the Hangman's going to join the Young Bucks or the Dark Order, um, all that stuff. I, what what do you think of like the broader story of the Elite? Like, how do you compare it? with other wrestling stories imp it's a it's a constantly unfolding drama i guess mm. like it's never this is the group and this is how they are that there's always something moving on in a direction be it their relationship with somebody else be it their own relationships mm. like again like hangman and uh, hangman and kenny omega as a tag team was absolutely perfect for then setting up kenny omega joining the young books so like mm. even in AW's history, they've not all been together as once. Like I have to kind of mentally just take myself back to remember that they were all together in Stadium Stampede. Like Hangman rode in on a horse. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I just forget Hangman was with them just because of where we are now. It just, uh, it's, it's constantly evolving and constantly moving forward and shifting and changing. And I think that really helps it in terms of people getting invested in the happenings of the group and whatever and get invested mm. in their matches because they're not just an act that does stuff they're also fully fleshed out characters whose relationships with the world around them is never con it's never the, it's never mm. a set in stone constant they're always shifting which mm. again is that really for me that really feeds into the why does half wrestling have to be a certain way when mm. you look at this and you look at ada as a whole with their variety that there are many ways of doing wrestling it doesn't have mm. to be one formula and there's many formulas that work and just uh, for, for me the young book's showing that this is another one where you can tell much more which when i say longer term what i just mean is standard television storytelling <laughs> like mm. it's just, yeah it's just obviously the um the gareth clap of long-term storytelling mm. like it is a meme for a reason like it, it's yeah it's not a, it's not a genuine critique of any merit <laughs> like it's not a thing yeah it's just uh hitting a uh doing the kind of storytelling we see elsewhere in wrestling and mm. just having characters like a soap opera almost just yeah continuously evolve uh, i'm a massive fan of it um which is probably no surprise <laughs> at this point in the yeah the the closest for me 
in my fandom at least, is the S.H.I.E.L.D. story. Mm. But even if I was to, to say there's the difference, is that the S.H.I.E.L.D. does have like an ongoing story, um, an, on, an ongoing set of character dynamics in the same way that like the Elite and Kenny Omega, you know, the Elite and Hangman and Kenny and the Bucks have like this dynamic that sort of changes and the power changes at different points and who's with who and, and stuff it's always moving and that was the same with the shield you know but the difference is when they're not together the shield always had that like sense of story and progression when they were feuding or or around each other but when they weren't it was never something that was talked about um you know like in 2016 roman reigns when he's going against aj styles and the Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, of course. Um, just that was that's unintentional. I brought that up, but um, but uh, he randomly tags with the Usos, and it's not even mentioned that he has history tag teaming with another team with another two people. Um, it's like, oh, these guys are brothers, so of course they tag together. They've always tagged together. They're brothers. Uh, um, Whereas with the elite, like these guys are never going to tag with another person and not mean something. Oh. Um, whereas like, of course, like obviously the Usos to Roman Reigns now in 2022 mean something huge um, because this bloodline thing has become, you know, a, a soap opera in itself in some ways. But in 2016, it wasn't, there was no storyline significance to him teaming with them. It wasn't like, you know, when Seth or D- and Dean got back with him, they weren't like, hey, why didn't you call on us? Like, why did you call on the Usos, of all people, who we actually fought against in the past? You know, and, and this is me, you know, The Shield is like one of my favourite stories ever, right? Like, <laughs> wrestling. Um, but I, I think that's the thing I like about The Elite and, and what I think sets The Elite apart, um, as you sort of said, is that, like, there's never it, – it's it's an ongoing story forever – when they're together and even when they're apart. And sometimes when they're apart, it's like even more pronounced. As I was saying, like at the start, you've got like the contrast between how Hangman and Kenny deal with the fallout of their full gear match um, and the different trajectories and how they sort of mirror each other and are heading in different directions, but are still like you can still see the way their characters are constantly linked. And for me, that's absolutely massive. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a more elaborate way of um, mm. uh, not consistency, continuity, mm. where it, it's all, like in terms of how characters react to things. It's not mm. it's not person writes a thing for a thing to happen. It's well, how would mm. this character react to this situation? Which means the character has traits, they have def- def- definable characteristics mm. about them, which again is something we weren't getting in wrestling, which I feel mm. like is. Um, but what, we, what you were just talking about is perfect because WWE style of writing was like comic book storytelling, passing ships mm. that never interacted with each other. Like if uh, if you're on a boat in one feud, you don't interact with mm. any other boats. They don't exist. You're mm. on your boat. <laughs> it's like, well, mm. that, that doesn't make the world feel lived in or alive or anything. And mm. uh, you weren't even guaranteed for what happened last week on the boat was going to matter this week on the boat. <laughs> like it was, uh, mm. it was when I say comic book storytelling, what I mean is you have your story and once it's finished there's a high chance it's never talked about ever again <laughs> like mm. you've, you've had your episode you've had your bit the monster of the week's been slain off we pop to the next adventure 
But uh, AEW was one long continuous thing, mm. and uh, this for me, for that to work, you need to have characters a lot more definable. And I feel like that's what Triple H is having to recondition his audience to expect, where mm. you are getting that. There's lots of efforts of lots of little details in terms of making the world feel lived in, making them feel like a, a shared space. Mm. And like past relationships mean things, past accomplishments mean things. If the audience remembers the thing yep. happening, then it means it happened. You can't pretend mm. it didn't. <laughs> Stuff like that. Mm. And AW's got that from the ground up, like from their first kind of shows. That that stuff was already in there. Whilst in WWE, what you're seeing is a reconditioning. Because back in 2016, one of the main reasons because for that lack of like the Shield coming together and fighting each other should have felt absolutely massive, mm. but it, it didn't. Mostly because of the setting was just almost throw away before a band split. <laughs> but mm. also that they when they were apart, it was like again it's that passing ships thing. Well, you're not in a feud or storyline with each other, therefore none of the other stuff matters. <laughs> it was like, well, no. See, I. I don't yeah. totally agree with you there in that I think like as I said when they were together like they had that sense of character and constant story and they would constantly be continuing and like the Seth the Seth and Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose interactions particularly show that um in how their relationship progressed but it's just like the stuff apart never oh yeah yeah when when they were apart it was like they were never together um in many ways even though they should have been and their characters weren't affected as much yeah uh, I, i'm not sure i'm not sure exactly the the line i'm trying to thread here but because I, I think <laughs> we can yeah because we can find a way back <laughs> no yeah what it is is like when they were together they they had a sense of continuity to their story but when they weren't together that continuity was completely dropped like the oh, yeah. for example just just as another example um because you know I'll, I'll get ranting about <laughs> uh I'll, I'll get ranting about dean ambrose in in wwe him having this thing with james ellsworth right like it seems like this comedic sort of thing but what ultimately happened was he got betrayed by someone that he kind of trusted and and helped along like he put he put James Ellsworth into a position where he had potential to be successful and he got betrayed by Ellsworth ultimately, which is what happened with Seth Rollins. But that was that parallels never picked up on at all by WWE. They never even talk about it. They never even think about it because they don't think like they don't, they don't write their stories like they didn't write the Dean Ambrose story to have like such a consistent constant progression until he gets back with Seth Rollins and then they do pick up all of their previous baggage but up until that point it's not affecting him whereas like as we said like the Matt Hardy feud the even the stuff with Brian Cage like and how like he initially lost to Brian Cage and that was because of his self-doubt which stemmed from the fact that he had previously failed um to become the number one contender uh against Kenny Omega at full gear and against Chris Jericho at All Out 2019, and then when he finally had a match that he should have won against Brian Cage, he couldn't because he because of his mental blocks that he had. Like you don't get that sort of like you know those are three random matches that have pulled out of the continuity of Adam Page, but there's a constant there's a constant thread through them. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I fully agree with that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, ha- ha- having that constant 
again, a lot of it comes down to like character continuity, where you don't, yeah, you don't need them to be interacting or bringing up the person on the interviews or whatever, or doing little drops of teasers or whatever. Mm. But if the character is clearly affected by a thing happening, mm. as we're talking about, and, and the lack of confidence in Hangman is absolutely perfect mm. for that. That's the, that's your through line through everything. Mm. It doesn't have to mention Kenny Mega by name or hint at him at mm. all because of the lack of confidence. You can use that as the tie mm. into uh, the different trajectories mm. that went on. And uh, again, it all it makes you so much more invested in that ultimate blow off angle. Yep. And uh, for me, that's the difference between a match like this and. Oh, which I think uh, insert a uh, one that is relatable in WWE because I can't. Think <laughs> <of one. laughs> um, well, imp- until you think of one, I think we might but have to wrap up because we are. There we go. There we go. Happy days. Um, Fantastic match, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was a good match. It was a good match. Anyway, look, let's uh, let we're going to have to get going because we have been going on for too long now. Um, so, Imp, can you tell the good people where they can find you? you yeah, you can find me writing for Wrestling Headlines, posting the weekly columns on a Sunday, uh, covering Raw, SmackDown, AW, and Rampage with a single topic. Uh, I don't. I, I feel like I feel feel like I have to like say whether I like the show or not, but then I don't like going into every single topic because there's some i don't know about you but like on a multi-hour show there's some storylines that uh my thoughts are yeah that's all right then i don't mm. want to delve, delve any deeper than that <laughs> it's like, it's fine, yeah. It's fine, yeah. so i feel like um yeah so me picking a single topic from each show and then putting a condom upon a sunday where i talk about all four shows for me that's kind of perfect i get to i think one thing i i like that as well because there's some stuff that's just not worth giving the airtime to. Yeah. So you just don't. Just ignore it. Just go into the things that you want to dig into, particularly when you're writing. Yeah. Like, you just need <laughs> oh, to. Yeah, you need to have. You need to have something that inspires you when you're writing. Also, also I've got an aftershock where I'm live after every yes. pay per view or premium live event or whatever. Uh, for <laughs> best headlines over on their YouTube channel. And I mean, I haven't done an AW review in quite some time. <laughs> in the that was my connection to the social suplex people <laughs> was the, just the uh, hitting up James or uh, James Rich or somebody like two days before the show. It's like, uh, do you want to talk about AW? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, maybe I'll keep that up again. But I was just eternally tired <laughs> between that and Aftershock. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, I suggest following Imp on Twitter and he'll let you know if any of those are about to happen. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'm always happy to talk about Hangman Page and the Elite. So come talk to me on Twitter about that. Tell me what you remember of this match, what you thought of the intro. Um, if you thought it lived up to your expectations, all those things, um, come hit me up there at Sir underscore Samuel. Or you can email me if you're a little bit more old school, sambrownmedia at gmail.com. And make sure, as I said, make sure you check out all the other great shows we've got here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You can also support us financially on Red Circle. And any money there, you can you can send a once-off donation or a regular donation. And that just goes for paying for things like hosting, web hosting here, and, and paying the bills here at the Social Suplex. Uh, but you can also listen in again next week to the AEW Match Guide. Um, So make sure you tune in next Friday for the AEW Match Guide. 
Imp, thanks very much for joining me today. It's been a blast. As I said, going back to one of the peaks of my fandom of AEW, one of my happiest memories of being a wrestling fan. So thank you for suggesting this match um, and putting your hand up for it. I've really enjoyed going through it. And thank you to the listeners out there. Thank you for joining me on the AEW Match Guide. And I cannot wait to see you again next week. Bye. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.